As we open up to Romans 8, allow me to uh, remind you of what we last found in Romans 8. I know it's been a while. We took last week. We had a guest speaker. Uh, and it was great to hear the life story uh, of a young man who's still pursuing direction in his life and how he discovered that sports was not everything. He did not fill that hole in his life. That he needed more than that. He needed Jesus Christ. And that was a great testimony you heard last week. Pastor Landon was preaching for two weeks, and I appreciated him preaching, giving me some time off. And I tell you something, uh, whenever I get that time off, I get refreshed, I get refueled, I get refocused, and I get fired up. And I get excited about coming back. And in my time away, then, I'm like looking at different scriptures. Oh, that would be a good message to preach. And then I don't know what happens to them all. I like pile them all up. Like, oh, yeah, we're back to Romans 8. So every now and then I might occasionally just sort of go off on you because of something God laid on my heart. And it's like, i got to share this with you sometime, right? It's good news. But I always appreciate that time away. It gets me excited about being back up in front, preaching God's word. And uh, I really appreciate Pastor Landon because he took you through some tough scripture. Um, I was excited about the verses that he was going to go through, but I also knew that those were not easy passages. And as I listened to the podcast, I thought he did a great job. Uh, but here's what I want you to do today. As we get into Romans chapter 8, I want you to use your creative imaginations with me for a second, okay? I want you to dig deep into your memory banks, uh, back to a time, a place, an event where you just thought God was awesome. Okay, I just want you to think about that. Um, maybe something caused you to emotionally explode or at least be incredibly moved. It could be a moment of extreme joy, a victory, something like that, or it could have been a, a loss. It could have been a horrible thing that happened, but either one from the extreme of those two things brought you into a sense of God is incredible. God's awesome. Can you think back to when that moment was? Maybe it was... Um, the tears overtaken from somebody passing away. Maybe it was uh, the birth of a child and your response was speechless when that baby was born. It could be simply seeing God's creation and how he majestically paints a picture in the sky. And you sit there and say, wow. Uh, I'm going to show you a picture of a sunrise I took on vacation. It was with my phone. I took a bunch of pictures, but the one with my phone I enjoyed the most. Um, there's a lot of pictures every morning getting up, going out at six o'clock in the morning. It's like, I wanted, I just wanted to see this every morning because what did it do? It got me away from everything around here. Unplugged the troubles in life, the schedules, the hassle, everything. And just to sit and look and say, God, you're awesome. And if you waited 30 seconds, the colors changed in another 30 seconds, the colors changed and the clouds moved away. It was incredible. And so I, and I was thinking about this. Well, Scott and Linda had been out west, and then I thought about Gail being out west uh, with ladies. And I thought that which took me out west, thinking the Grand Canyon. And I'd seen some of your pictures, Gail. So I said, sent her a text the other day. I was like, can you send me a picture? I want to show this. So the next picture of the Grand Canyon, yeah, right? It just blew the sunrise away, didn't it? Okay. And I was like, and I saw those pictures, and then I've never been to the Grand Canyon someday, right? Um, but I can only imagine when you stood on the rim. And for those that have ever been there, to stand on the rim and look out and just say, God is awesome. It's in those moments that I'm talking about when you stand there and you see things like this, that you have to respond. There must be some kind of response coming forward. There's just no sitting there and saying, well, that's cool. 
and then you just get back in your camper and drive on, okay? And that doesn't happen, okay? There's an incredible response. There's some kind of response. Okay, we can go ahead and turn the lights on and move on. In light of Romans 8, as we're reading through Romans 8, there should be some kind of response. There should be some kind of, just as you saw that, and you're like, whoa, okay? That's what happens when we read through Romans 8. There should be some kind of response on our part. So let me remind you of a few verses. So go with me in Romans 8, starting in verse 29. I want to go back. I know uh, Landon preached on this last week. But these two verses alone should have, should have urged you in some manner to say, wow, thank you, God. So look at verse 29. For God knew his people in, in advance. Just think about this, okay? Before you were born, God knew you. And he chose them to become like his son. There's another word that says predestined. Meaning God says, I'm picking you to be like my son, Jesus Christ. Think about that. Everyone in this room, he's picked you to mature and grow up to be like Jesus Christ. You ever been picked like that before? Read on. So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters, verse 30. And having chosen them... He called them to come to him. He's called you. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. That's justification, right? And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. In light of God's seeing us, choosing us, calling us, making us right with him, sharing his glory with us, he's done all that right, there should be some kind of response on our part. Please stop and think about that. You get excited when you made a team. You get excited when you get the job. You get excited that somebody loved you and gave you something small. And God says, I picked you before you were born. I chose you. And I'm I'm going to have you conform to the image of my son. I'm calling you out. And I'm going to make you in the right standing with me. And we're going to share glory. Tell me, isn't that better than a job? Isn't that better than making a team? And we post all kinds of things on social media about how excited we are about, I made this, I got this, that's great. But you've been called. Did you post that lately? Did you post that you've been justified? Have you posted that you get to share glory with God in this universe? There should be some kind of radical response because we're born with sinful natures, right? We're enslaved to sin. We're in a sinful world and we're destined to an eternity of spiritual death. Let that sink in, please. We don't deserve heaven. We don't. Freedom from sin? Nope. Nor do we deserve a place in right standing with God. We don't deserve any of that. We're not entitled to a nice life. I'm sorry if you thought everything's supposed to be rosy and and rainbows and ponies for you. Who told you that lie? You're not entitled to that. You're not entitled to a pain-free life. I think in America, we have had it so good, we forget that we are extremely blessed. We think we're entitled to everything. And when we don't get it, we complain and we whine and we sue or we do whatever we can to make people think that I deserve this. No, you don't. Not one of us in this room are entitled to anything. To a nice life, pain-free, sin-free spot in heaven? No, no. That's what is so amazing about God's love is that he, in, in all that truth, God says, I pick you. I pick you. I choose you. I'm predestined you to be like my son, Jesus Christ. And he calls out to us. And in that moment, when we hear God's call, you've all been there, right? 
when you knew you needed to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, you heard his call and it's like, I'm responding with a yes, I'm surrendering. I stand with arms high, right? We just sing this. I'm surrendering to you that that moment, that call, we surrender our, our wretched life that we try to control. We try to be in charge of everything we find out we can't. We are so far from innocent. We are covered in sinful action, deserve nothing. But what does God do? He declares us innocent, justified, right standing with him. We get to share in his glory. So church, I ask you, how do you respond to all this? When you take the depths, the, the dirt, the sin, and what God calls us to, how do you respond to that? Hopefully better than the, oh, with great healing. Oh. Hopefully your response is bigger than that. That's why we worship God. Church, that's why we come here Sunday morning. This is our response to Romans 8. This is our response to a radical change that God's given us. When we gather to worship, we are coming here not to see if we wore the same clothes we wore last week. Right? Okay? Not, not to say, oh, well, i got to put my time in at church, or I have nothing else to do, or, well, so-and-so is going to be there. Or... No, it's not why we come to church. We come here to worship, to respond to God's call, to justification, to that predestined to be like his son, to that glory, glorified state to say, well, God, I want to give back for what you've done for me. I want to come and worship you. That's why we don't just stay at home. It's, it's easy to stay at home. We've all been there. We've all done that, right? I had that time. I was like church shopping in between when I was a youth pastor and when I was doing this. There was like a year period or two where I was like sort of church shopping. Look for churches. Couldn't really find one. Did church at home and all that. But you know what? It worked for a while. It does. But nothing beats gathering with the church body and worshiping as a whole. You can't sing at home like you just sang here. Especially if you're sitting in the front and you hear people behind you singing. You don't have that home. I don't, I don't care how loud you crank it up, okay? If you crank it up, you got the perfect voices singing at home, okay? Let's face it. It's not like we have an incredible choir here. It's like everybody's on tune. It, you know, someone's like, I don't want to sing because I'm out of tune. That's okay, sing. That's what I love because none of us are perfect. And we just explode with our voices if we can and we sing. We give back to God and we serve God. See, when you, we understand that we deserve nothing and God gives you everything, we should be overtaken by gratitude and love. So here's the deal. If you look at Romans 8 like a mountain, we have hiked up Romans 8. We are near the summit. The summit is that point when you stop on that mountain and you look out and you're like, whoa, you just see everything. And it's been a long trek and it's been tiring and you sweat and you're hungry and you're thirsty. And all that is gone. All the emotions, all the pain, all the... The, the aches are just gone because you look out and you see an incredible view. That's where we're at in Romans 8 right now. We've worked our way through some difficult yet enlightening passages that explain our relationship to the God of this universe. And as we near the summit and we look out, it's time to soak in what God has done in this passage and respond to it. Today is about response. Okay, so at the end, we're going to get up and we're going to do a dance together, Okay. And we're going to slap hands. I'm just kidding. I just want to see some of you wrestle and get really uncomfortable. I am not coming to this church ever again. Okay? Dance. That's not happening. Yeah, you, do you see who's pastoring? Do you think I dance? No. Okay? Last time I did, I ripped my pants. So anyway, here we go. <laughs> High school memories. Oh, okay, here we go. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Let's read this together. Romans 8, 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? He's referring back to the verses we just read, okay? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? 
Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chose, chosen for his own? No, no one, no one. See, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and raised us to life for us. And he's sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. You know, Paul uses five major questions to sort of conclude what he's been conveying in this teaching so far. And these questions are really meant to say, hey, in light of what I've been teaching, what conclusions follow? In light of everything I just said, how should we respond? Theologian and author John Stott says this. The apostle hurls these questions out into space as, as it were, defiantly, triumphantly challenging any creature in heaven or earth or hell to answer them and to deny the truth that is contained in them. But there's no answer. For nobody and nothing can harm the redeemed people of God. You know, this morning as I preached this section, I, I prayed for two things, Okay. First of all, I prayed that God would speak to you and cause you and I to understand the scripture. That's the first thing I prayed for. Here's the second thing I prayed for, okay? That you would be urged and I would be urged by God's spirit to radically respond to his love and grace. That was my prayer. Because I think sometimes, you know, obviously you hear a hundred messages, but how many of them really change you? It's when God's Spirit works in you and you go out and you're obedient to what God says. That's the stuff we remember. So I'm praying that today you leave here obediently and just God's Spirit gets a hold of you and says, I'm going to respond to God's love and grace. So look at me at verse 31, please. Look there again with me. Verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? If God is for us, Who can ever be against us? Let it soak in. If God is for us, who can be against us? How about we take out that first part if God is for us? Let's just go with that last part. Who can be against us? Oh, that list is long, right? Who's your opponent? Who's your competitor? Who's your enemy? Is it a bully at school? Is it a kid that always picks on you? Maybe it's an athletic opponent that you'll always face. That dreaded rivalry, right? Maybe it's competition in a relationship, fighting for somebody, fighting to get somebody. It seems like whenever you meet that person, there's always button heads. Maybe it's at work. There's some kind of competition there. You always, you've got to outdo somebody else and there's somebody you're competing with. And maybe it's a political power. Maybe it's terrorist. We all know there are enemies in this world. Whether you've chosen them or not, they don't like you. So when you look at that part of the question, who can ever be against us, there are many who stand against us, right? The Bible speaks spiritually of the big three. There's a big three in the Bible, okay? The first one is the world. The world will get us to conform to it if it can. Try to get us to be like everybody else. If the world can say, hey, watch what we watch, do what we do, listen to what we listen. The other night we went to uh, to go see Ben-Hur, okay? Great movie. We don't go to the movie theater often, but if I hear there's an opportunity of a spiritual message behind it, and there is in this one, which is pretty cool. Um, If you watch the previews, you never know that actually there's a story about Jesus in there. But as I walked into the movie theater, there's all these posters 
of food, okay? There's a movie called The Sausage Party that's coming out, okay? It's an animated movie, okay? And for anybody that doesn't check their movies and they just show up and buy a ticket and go see, I'm going to tell you something, okay? You should be walking out in two seconds. That movie is laced with sexual stories. Yeah, it's cartoon food, right? 160 times the F word is used. Yeah. And it's posted everywhere, and it's like, that's the movie you chose, the posters to put up? It's just a cartoon. See, the world has this way of drawing people in to be a part of something. And after you hear it and hear it and hear it and hear it, it's no longer offensive to you. And you just sort of be like the rest of the world. The world wants to take you down, to be like it. Paul tells us later in Romans, why? Don't be conformed to the world. Don't try to imitate the world. Well, this is what the world says in and out and so forth and so on. Who cares? Are we really supposed to be up with what's going on in the world? Not according to biblical standards. Here's the second enemy, and I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on these. The flesh. The flesh. It's our enemy. Containing seeds of sin within it. Pride. Lust. It's sort of there when we were born. Sin within us in the flesh. The third enemy is the devil. Described as a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour him. First Peter 5a. But here's the thing. We have opponents. We have enemies. But what happens to that list when you read the first part of the question in that verse. We have those who stand against us, right? Now read the first part. If God is for us, who can stand against us? So take all those people that you listed that can stand against you. Everybody got those, okay? You've got at least one opponent in your life, one enemy, right? If not, you've got three that are listed spiritually, okay? You can probably throw a fourth one in. Now you put them over on this list, and then you say, oh, they stand against me. Now look over here. If God is for us, who can stand against us? And really, when you look at this verse, you really shouldn't look at the word if as a means of wondering, like, well, if, if God. Paul just shared our incredible position of being seen, predetermined to be formed in the likeness of Jesus Christ, called, justified, and glorified, right? What Paul means is since, S-I-N-C-E, since God is for us, is the way it should be translated. Paul challenges to place all the possible opponents and enemies. Like, you ever seen one of those scales, those balance scales, where you like you get the little fulcrum and, and they weigh things out? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, so let's like take all those things that are against us, like and like little peanuts. Okay, pack them up there. Just start, all these little peanuts here, and all these things that stand up against us. And then Paul says this: If God is for us, who can stand against us? Oh, let's see. All these peanuts sort of weighing down the scale, and he picks up like a 200-pound anvil and just like boom, and just drops it on there, and the peanuts go up. The penis fly everywhere, right? Can you sort of picture that happening? I wish I could, like, have that real-life illustration for you, okay? But there might be somebody allergic, and they might, you know, I don't want that to happen. So, and I was just lazy, didn't want to do that for you. But anyway, so you've got this picture of peanuts and an anvil, and boom, and the penis fly everywhere, right? If God's for us, big anvil, who can be against us? Little peanuts splattered everywhere. Picture that, please. I know it's probably not the greatest illustration. But really, who can stand against God? Anybody got an answer to that one? This would be one point in time where I asked the church to speak up and there would be no answer. Because there is no one who can stand up against God. The answer is no one. Nothing can defeat us if the almighty God of the universe is on our side. Now, Mike alluded to um, the Olympics, okay? Now, one of the cool things about the Olympics is 
Um, you get to see these athletes just rise up to the top. But there was an athlete who's already at the top. And if I say, who's the fastest man in the world, especially in the 100-meter race, you know, you're like, Usain Bolt, right? From Brazil. you like, everybody knows he's the fastest, okay? So they also have the 100-meter relay, the 4 by 100 okay? Now let's say, if I were running in that relay, pause for a second. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I thought. There'd be a few laughs, okay? But let's say I actually had a chance to run, and I was sort of fast, okay? And it really doesn't matter, okay, because I'm not. I had one compliment one time about me running. And it was an older lady. She went to a church softball game, and she saw me run to first base. And she goes, you run like a deer. And then I was waiting for her to finish the sentence, like, that was shot by a hunter. But she didn't say it. But <laughs> it's like, I've never heard anybody say it before. That I thought, oh, wait, she doesn't see very well. And the person that was up before me, I think she was talking about him. So that's all right. So let's say I'm going to run that race, okay? And I'll admit that um, as I'm getting in, I'd, I'd be a little nervous. Picture yourself there running in a 4 by 100 at the Olympics. Anybody here a little bit nervous? You're, you're on a stage that the world sees. You're competing against the best of the best. The best athletes from around the world, and you are going to run this race. Are you a little bit nervous? Yeah. I, I would be nervous, okay? And then I look, and I see who's on my team. Usain Bolt is on my team. <laughs> Wait, the fastest man in the world is on my team? He's a part of my relay? That changes everything. My confidence builds because now I'm believing we're going to win because look who's on my team. He's the anchor. He's running last. So no matter how slow I run, no matter if I trip and fall and all my mistakes that I make in running, I have bad form and whatever it may be, okay? My anchor is the fastest man in the world. We're going to win. Church, that's us spiritually. We will fail. We will mess up. We are probably going to be slow spiritually at times and things. But you know who your anchor is? Jesus Christ. Undefeated. Frederick Douglass said this, One and God make a majority. One and God make a majority. You feel alone like, I feel like I'm alone. Look at my opponents. Look at my enemies. Just add God to the equation. Boom. You are now the majority. King David said, Psalm 23, 4. There's three different scriptures in Psalm. It said this, even when I walk through the darkest valley. Picture your worst time. The darkest valley. I will not be afraid for you're close beside me. Your rod and staff come for me. Psalm 56, 11 says, I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? Psalm 3, 6. I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. Because I have God. How can a psalmist say this? He believes and knows that God is on his side. That's how he can say that. He knows God is on his side. The truth is that God is on our side, but we still have those moments of doubt, don't we? We Church, do we not know that God is on our side? Yes, right? We know that, right? But do we still doubt at times? Yeah. There are those moments... Have you ever been told something by somebody and you sort of wonder, is that really true? I mean, you begin to question what you thought was true because somebody else sort of came over here and said, well, this is what I heard. And all of a sudden, what you thought was to be true, you're starting to think, maybe that isn't true. Church, you've been told God is on your side. 
But did you ever feel like somebody sort of whispers over here that he's not? And you start to doubt? It happens. I mean, what if God gets tired of us weak Christians? What if God forgets about us? What if God's busy and he needs to move on to more pressing issues? I mean, really deal with me and my little worries and doubts. And I'm sure there's somebody that's got bigger problems that God needs to attend to. So why would he spend time helping me? Maybe God even has limits to his grace and generosity. Maybe there's a cap where God says, that's it. I have forgiven you enough. Five times a day, every time you're messing up, I keep forgiving you. That's it. So Paul continues with another question to help us answer that. Because I'm sure after we read this, if God's for us, who can be against us? Well, but what about, so Paul says in verse 32, look at this verse with me. Since he didn't even spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give up everything else? See, he challenges us to do something here. He says this, look at the cross. Everybody just do this with me. Just look at the cross. You reason with that right now. Just look at the cross. Don't look at me. Just look at the cross. If he did that for you, sending his own son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place, is there anything he can possibly be imagined to be withheld? Just think about that. Church, in the midst of our pains and our hurts and our doubts, our emotions run high, right? How many of you have lost a family member in the last year? Raise your hand. There's quite a few in here. Go ahead and raise your hand. Quite a few. In those moments when you need comforting, your emotions are running high. And it doesn't matter what Bible verse is read to you sometimes or what somebody says. They're like, God loves you. You know that's true. But in your emotions at that moment, it is so hard sometimes to hold on to that. It's hard to believe that God loves us when a loved one is tragically killed or when an incurable disease attacks the body or you lose your spouse, you lose your job, or your child walks away from everything you raised them to be and they walk away and they do their own thing. And as a parent, you sort of sitting there saying, God, do you really care? Your emotions are high, right? And you're almost willing to argue and with God and people try to comfort you with words. But your emotions are all over the place. So what does Paul do? Paul knows our emotions can be all over. So this is what Paul does. Paul points to a point in history and says, I'm not going to argue with your emotions. I know it hurts. So let me just point something out that is true in history. It has nothing to do with emotions. It was a time and place, an undeniable fact. He points to the cross. No words necessary. When Jesus died on the cross, what did he do? He saved us paid a price we couldn't pay for our sins. That was God's action. God did it. The one that we argue with, the one we sometimes question, if God's on my side, if God's on my side, no, no, God is on your side. He did that for you. It wasn't like Jesus changed the mind of God. If you've seen that illustration, maybe I've shared that illustration where God's in the courtroom and he's the judge and Jesus is standing there and the accused comes forward and of their sins and they're going to deserve a penalty and Jesus steps in and says, God, I'll, I'll take the penalty for this, right? You've heard that? Here's the thing. It wasn't like Jesus, if you use that illustration, it wasn't like Jesus came in and said, let me change your mind, God, or let me plead for them. No. God had already decided when the accused walked in and Jesus was going to step up, God had already decided that Jesus would take the place of that accused. God already decided that in, in advance. God, 
loved us from the beginning. And it's because he loved us that Jesus died. And it wasn't man who killed Jesus. Remember the argument Peter had, maybe you don't, Acts chapter 2, verse 23. We read this. God knew what would happen. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of the lawless Gentiles, they nailed him to a cross and killed him. Peter went on with this speech, talking to all these Gentiles and these Jews that actually killed Jesus, the ones that helped arrest and crucify him. He has this big message that he just sort of throws out there. Yes, you are guilty. You're the ones that arrested him. You're the ones and so forth. But in the midst of that speech, he said this. But God knew it would happen. It was his prearranged plans. Your hands might be guilty because you're a part of it, but this was God's plan. He's a unique son of God, holy and infinite, the true atonement for our sin. And God loves us with this intensity and affection that infinitely surpasses ours. We know this because he gave us his one and only son, Jesus. Jesus is the greatest gift that God could ever give us. Think about this. Nothing more precious in the universe and all creation greater than God's Son. That was his, his most precious, His one and only Son. And what did God do? He put Him on a cross for us. So when God gave Jesus, He proved the greatest of His love by the most precious gift of all. And if God gives us the most precious gift of all, wouldn't He also give us other things? That's what he's saying in verse 32. If God is for us, no, no, no. Since God is for us, nothing can stand against us. Think about this. God didn't even spare his own son. His most precious gift he gave to you. So if he's going to give you his most precious gift, do you think he'll give us other things? Dan's going to throw some scripture on the screen here. Because here's the thing. Someone's like, I need help with temptation. I'm always struggling with this. God says, I can help you with that. If I gave you my son, don't you think I can give you other things? I'm going to give you help with this. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, the temptations in your life are no different than what others experience. The people sitting next to you probably experiencing similar temptations. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted... He will show you a way out so you can endure it. God always shows you a way out. He goes, I want to help you with this. I gave you my son. That's the most precious gift, and I can give you other things. I'll give you a way out of temptation. Need a friend to be with you through life's dark places so you won't lose hope? Yeah. God says, I'll give you something there too. John 15, 15, Jesus said, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. No, you're my friends. Imagine that, Jesus sitting there. No, you're my friends. Everybody knows what a good friend is like, right? And God says, you alone? You're not alone. If I can give you my son, don't you think I can give you a relationship that would be a friend? Will he be there? Matthew 28, 20. Teach these new, new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end. He's not going to abandon us. Church, you're not alone. Need direction on... How to make choices in life, where to go, decisions you have to make. Psalm 32, 8, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway of your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Need comfort when you've lost a loved one? Yeah. Psalm 23, even when I walk through the darkest valley, I will not be afraid because you are close beside me. You are my rod and your staff. You protect me and comfort me. Clearly, if God gave us Jesus Christ, the most precious, greatest gift of all, 
won't he also give us the lesser gifts? Yes. Kids, if your mom and dad gave you the keys to a 2016, pick whatever car you want or truck, if they pulled down the drive, they gave it to you, don't you think they would probably give you, I don't know, an air freshener to put in it? Oh, I can't afford that. No, no, no. They just bought you a brand new 2016 whatever, okay? If they can afford to give you that, don't they think they can give you something to put in it? If the God of this universe can give you the greatest gift of all his son, Jesus Christ, don't you think he can give you what you need right now in this moment? Church, when we read all these questions, it's not like Paul's looking for an answer. We're standing on the mountaintop of Romans 8, and we're looking out saying, God is awesome. He's for me. He didn't spare his own son. He gave his most precious gift to me. He's on our side. Abraham Lincoln said this, my concern is not whether God's on our side. Listen, this is great. My concern is not whether God's on our side, but whether we are on his side. Think about that. That would be the question I would have for us as a church. I'm not concerned about whether God's on our side. I know he is. Church, are we on his side? Are we on his side? Today's the day to make sure you've sided with God. Acknowledge that God's given you the best gift ever, Jesus Christ. Accept Jesus as the one who saved you from your sins. Listen, you you can't save yourself. I can't save myself. There's no good works we can do to do that. You can't decide later because later might be too late. So right now is the time to confess and believe. Church, you've been given the greatest gift of all. If you've never confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, now's the time. Now's the time to surrender. And if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, let me ask you this. Are you really on God's side? Well, yeah, I'm a Christian. Are you? Is there evidence that you have sided with God? Do you take advantage of the gift that you have today? God gave you Jesus Christ. What are you doing with that? When you come here, do you come here ready to worship, ready to sing? Do you see this as a blessing from God and give thanks? Your homes. How many of you are really thankful for your homes or you complain because it's not big enough or it's not clean enough or it's not whatever? This past week, I got a uh, text from my mom saying, hey, your cousin Keith and Candy had to evacuate their home in California. They live up in the mountains where the wildfires are. They had to evacuate. They said they're probably going to lose everything. The fires are going to overtake their home. It's going to be gone. And you're reading a text message and you're just like, Man, that's horrible. I can't even think of what that's like. And they just remodeled and redid some things. And there's only one road that leads out of that town, out of that mountain. And so everybody had to evacuate. They expected to be gone. We got a text last night saying that the fire stopped right at the road where the house was. And at, two days ago, it was 0% contained. Okay? Last night, stopped at the road. It's done. They get to go back in tomorrow, I think it is, to go back to their home. Probably no electricity, but their home is intact. It was answered prayer for them, right? Are we thankful for our homes? Something we just maybe don't even think about, right? Do you sing to him? Do you pray to him? If you're on God's side, you're going to, right? Do you give thanks? I read this the other day. God doesn't bless us so that we can raise our standard of living. God blesses us so we can raise our standard of giving. Do you give? Do you give to the church? Do you give to the ministry? Do you serve? Do you give of your time? 
Are you on God's side? These are questions we have to ask ourselves. He's on our side. Praise God he's on our side, right? What if God was not on your side? Praise God that he's on our side. The question is, are we on his side? Are we thankful for what he's given us in his son, Jesus Christ, and have we responded? Worship team, would you come up, please? I want to I challenge you with something, okay? So here's, I don't want to call it homework. I just want to say respond in some way, okay? Here's, here's an example how you can respond. This week, just do a little, a little journal of some sort. Write it down. Maybe put it in a house where everybody can see it. Just like maybe a piece of paper somewhere and just says, thank you, God. And every time you think of something like, man, God, thank you so much for giving us that. I'm glad you're on our side. Just write it down. And if you can't think of anything, do me a favor. Just write down the word cross. Because without that cross, we wouldn't be here today. And then the next day, if you can't think of anything that you're thankful for, then just write cross again. And pretty soon, it's going to hit you. There's a lot to be thankful for, and you'll start writing it down. Post that somewhere for everybody in the house to see. As a reminder, it's a little thank you journal. I don't care what you want to call it. It's just a thought. It's a practical way. Are you thankful for the opportunity to be at a church? Make sure somebody knows that. Greet somebody you've never greeted before in this church. Take them out for lunch. Spend a few minutes just talking to them here. But we have different ways that we get to respond to God when we find out he's on our side. Throwing a bunch your way. I'll let the Spirit deal with you from here. How will you respond? God's on our side. Isn't that an awesome thing? God is on our side. Would you stand with me, please? Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. Thank you for being on our side. Thank you for sending your most precious son, Jesus Christ. What a gift. What a sacrifice on your end. But because you love us beyond our understanding of what love really is, you did that. You're on our side. Thank you. God, help us respond the way we need to respond, whether we sing with joy, whether we decide to be involved in serving or giving, whether we're writing down things we're thankful for. Maybe we realize, you know what? I'm so blessed with eternal life. I need to share this with somebody else. Maybe we're challenged to evangelize and share more with others. Whatever way, God, just help us remember as we leave this place. We're standing right now at the summit of the scripture, looking out saying, incredible. God, you're incredible. You're on our side. And you even spare your son. For that reason, we just shout out, thank you. God, we love you and we sing to you now. In your name we pray. Amen.